2: If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive. It's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io/dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com.
1: I'm Dave Asprey, and this is Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that cats prefer salty over sweet, and that's because they have a defect in one of the two genes that cause your taste buds to form sweet receptors. The big question now is how do we transfer that to humans so that we like less sugar?
2: What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use.
1: Today's guest has been on Bulletproof Radio before. And she's a nutritionist and an author of multiple New York Times best-selling books, including her latest book, "The Sugar Impact Diet." J.J. Virgin, welcome to Bulletproof Radio.
3: It's great to be here.:
1: I'm excited that we get to record in person. Because I know. I see you when I go to your your Mindshare summits, and I get to hang out with you a lot, but we almost never get a chance to film in person, so we're actually doing an episode live. So if you're watching this on YouTube, or you're watching this on iTunes on video, you can actually see us together in the studio, which is kind of cool.
3: It's working for me.
1: So JJ, let's jump into sugar. Neither of us think sugar is very good for you. But you focused a whole book on it, whereas I'm like, put it low
3: on the diet (laughs) infographic. Well, there was a reason for that. I mean, the number one question asked on the Virgin Diet was about sugar, and it seemed that there were two camps. People were either confused by it and thinking they were doing everything right, but actually still getting in high sugar impact and still suffering from all the symptoms that that does, like fatigue and weight gain and brain fog and moodiness and joint pain and gut issues or they're just controlled by it. They knew they needed to give it up. I mean, it's like, sugar is bad, duh, you know? But they were controlled by it, and they couldn't get rid of their cravings. And so that's why I devoted an entire book to it. But what was so interesting is I dove into the subject, because I don't have a sweet tooth. Like, I, I don't like sugar, but that didn't happen overnight. I was raised on Pop-Tarts. My nickname growing up was Poppy. I mean, seriously, not for the flower. It literally was frosted Pop-Tarts.
1: I'm using that against you later.
3: (laughs) I know you are, I know. I just threw that out there and I thought, oh damn. But, you know, so I actually had a sweet tooth and what I did over the years, I got very into health when I was 12 and working out and just was crazy about it. I grew up in Berkeley, so that was helpful. But I thought that I was getting the sugar out of my diet when I started having frozen yogurt, when I switched to dried fruit, when I went to carob. But in reality, I hadn't lowered my sugar impact at all. And so that's what's really important for people to understand, because they think they're doing better because they have the green drink that says no sugar added, but in reality it's got 56 grams of sugar because it's like all fruit juice with some greens thrown in, you know, or they're having one of the the enhanced waters that have 31 grams of sugar. or Maybe they're even having just some, God forbid, gluten (laughs) that raises your insulin as much as sugar does. So it's really about re-education because if you're just pulling the sugar out and it's just the obvious stuff right, that we think of, like desserts or cookies or cakes, and you don't realize that those things you don't really consider, like the balsamic vinegar or the sun-dried tomatoes or, you know, the fruit juice, they're still creating the same problems.
1: Is this just the glycemic index all over again?
3: Don't you hate the, can we agree? Like, how did this happen? You know, you look at it and you go, how did we create a framework and live by a framework that's making us all fat, old, and tired?
1: I'm so happy you said that because I mean, I've, I've read your book. I know it's not the glycemic index again. And I. I used to eat according to the glycemic index, which drove me to eat a lot of really crappy foods. Right. It's entirely useless, as far as I can tell, as a health indicator. But why do you not? Why use does the glycemic it make index? me so
3: angry? Yeah. You know, because it makes agave look like this great food. Like we should have agave and skim milk. <laughs> you know, this is oh. the perfect thing, right? You know. So here's the challenge. There's multiple challenges with the glycemic index. The first being that it makes a carrot look like a potato because it takes a 50 gram dose of a food and then measures your blood sugar response to that, but people don't eat in isolated 50 gram doses of carbohydrates, so it doesn't really work. And in reality, should we just be looking at what's happening with your blood sugar, or should we also look at what's happening with insulin and ghrelin and leptin and cortisol? So it's really the impact that's so critical. So what's really got a bigger impact? Because when you look at sugar, there's two fates. It's gonna be broken down into glucose or fructose, and those fates are so different. And so while glucose isn't something we should be hitting ourselves heavy with, fructose is the scariest of all. Because as we know, fructose got this great stamp of approval because it didn't raise blood sugar, so it was low on the glycemic index. But that's because it just went straight to the liver where it's going to make fat and along the way because it bypasses all those satiety signals, you're still hungry, the more of it you eat, the better off you get at absorbing it fast. It's glycating, so it ages more than any other sugar. It leads to fatty liver, so we have fatty liver in kids. Remember when fatty liver used to have, it was only alcoholics, so and now we have to call it non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. <laughs> yeah, so you look at like, the increase in weight gain, diabetes, heart disease, it's, it's crazy for cancers. It actually creates a much more aggressive cancer type than regular glucose does. So you look at this and you go, how can you create a glycemic index that makes the worst sugar of all look great? And then discounts, doesn't even take into account like fiber and nutrient density. So I blew that thing up and I created a whole new rating scale that incorporated glycemic load, how much of a food you actually eat, fructose grams, and then contrasted it with fiber and nutrient density.
1: It is a far more sane way of looking at the insulin impact of what you eat. One of the anti-aging things that I follow and that I recommend is I like to keep my fasting blood sugar below 87, which is a kind of a well-established anti-aging number. And anytime you eat, your blood sugar spikes a certain amount and then it falls very quickly. It's called a postprandial spike. When people eat according to the the things you outline in the sugar impact diet, what happens to their average fasting blood glucose and what happens to the postprandial spike?
3: Well, I haven't looked at the post, postprandial spike, but what I have looked at is I've now got case studies of this where I just had one who just went from 97 down to 80 in a matter of weeks. Because what's happening when you eat this way is a couple things. Number one, there's a transition phase where I actually take people to as low a fructose as possible, hopefully close to zero, if not zero, so that their ability to transport glucose, uh, uh, sorry, fructose goes away and they lose their sweet tooth, but they also start to become more insulin sensitive. I mean, one of the challenges with, and I know we're both like not fans of the snacking thing, the (laughs) the snacking thing, you know, if you look at something that's really going to jack your blood sugar and make you fat. Where did this urban legend of snacking as this great thing to do? And I still see it in these diet books. I mean, there is one well-known diet book that tells you you should have a evening snack before bed. And one of the recommended evening snacks is a diet soda and pretzels. Like crazy craziness. So I know that it helps now wow. with reclaiming, reclaiming Uh, glucose tolerance and glycemic control. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. And one is because you're getting great fiber, which slows down the blood sugar response, but also feeds the good gut bacteria. So you're restoring the better gut bacteria, not having those bad gut bacteria that can make you more glucose intolerant. I mean, I'm sure you just saw that study that came out that's like hallelujah.
1: It's talking about the effect of gut bacteria on insulin levels.
3: Well, we looking at artificial sweeteners and your gut microbiome. Uh, yeah. I mean, was that like, I was like, finally, people. I mean, it's like, we knew Splenda did that. It yeah. was like, shh,
1: shh. <laughs> Having a real study to say what we all knew yeah. is, well, is really cool. Well, who,
3: do you see thin people with having diet sodas?
1: All right, I, one of the things that drives me nuts, there's a, a low-carb community, many of them are, are dear friends and I was like this when I started my path more than a decade ago. I would eat, according to the glycemic index, and I would eat lots and lots of protein, moderate to low fat, the wrong kinds, and I would always use and potassium. Mm. I figured out NutraSweet made me weak. It it made me shake, it affected my vision, like it was really bad for me. Uh, And Splenda was actually something that hadn't quite come out on the market yet. So I tried all these different things, and all of them create toxins. And what I got from ACE-K was not a blood sugar spike, at least not that I monitored, but I got benign nodules growing on my (sighs) thyroid. And they went away when I quit using acylsulfame potassium. But all of them contribute to your body's toxic burden, which makes you fat. So low-carb, high-fat, with a set of principles that says it doesn't really matter what you know what kind of protein you've yeah it could
3: eating. be pork rinds and diet and tap you know yeah, one of the challenges work, with low yes. carb is low carb could be soy based like mm-hmm. you see a lot of the low carb it's got tons of soy in it yeah right to lower the carbohydrate and then they use artificial sweeteners
1: and, and that'll so, jack you up that's i used to eat that years ago but your brain I goes did too. no i did too body. i mean
3: i was like diet diet coke was probably the toughest addiction for me to break. I still remember when I was eating, you know, and I went totally fat-free vegan too. Now if fat-free vegan, what does a fat-free vegan eat? Pretzels. Right? I mean, if you're a fat-free vegan, you are basically eating almost completely carbohydrates. Yeah. I mean I would I was trying to get my my fat down to ten grams a day. Do you remember the Pritikin days? hmm Like any diet fad this body has has had to recover yeah. from. <laughs> you know, it's like That's crazy.
1: Damaging, especially for women. <sighs> yeah, to it, not, not have the fat that.
3: and the protein and to live on diet soda and non fat, fat free frozen yogurt. And I would I would literally drive throughout the day and get sourdough bread and then frozen yogurt then a bialy then pretzels because I was a trainer at the time, craziness. But we were all trying to get our fat down to as low as possible. Yeah, and then and then when it got to be that like some fats were okay but you still wanted to eat very you know very low carbs then you went into soy, and then you see people who's all of a sudden now their thyroid is just. Trashed. So, all of these things have issues with them. None of them are benign. And I think that's like when I look at creating this new way of looking at sugar, it doesn't, it's not about calories. And I know we've always been like yeah. this. I mean, yeah. if you look at the obesity epidemic, the heart disease epidemic, it's not a calorie tracking. Look at what's happened with sugar and look, especially what happened when all of a sudden we learned how to unwrap fruit, you know, and pull the, the fructose. Out of corn and start just hitting people with things where they always would have gotten it in food before and all of a sudden all of these disease rates are skyrocketing so there's no simple way to do this but artificial sweeteners are way worse than sugar and that's clear so way worse
1: <laughs> thank you for getting that message out there uh, um, on the bulletproof diet i put them at the very
3: bottom and it makes some, a set of people very angry why what, those people, people who are addicted, cause, well they're just, they're as addictive as, as any of these, I mean look yes. at gluten, dairy, sugar and artificial sweeteners are all drugs. You know if you looked at them in any other context, especially let's look at something that stimulates the, uh, it, well Oreos, because Oreos are the perfect one and they did that study at the Connecticut College where they gave rats morphine or Oreos and then they let them go out and have their, have their way with them. And the rats, when they were given the choice, because they checked their brain on both of them and they both lit up their brain, both triggered the reward center, but given the choice, they chose the Oreos because they got more pleasure. Same reward center, but more pleasure, cracking that Oreo open, and that's what they did, they cracked the Oreo open and went straight to the middle. So if you looked at that and you said, okay, we don't let people just have morphine, we don't go to the store and you can have some morphine, but you can go to the store and get the Oreos, I would it's crazy.
1: Have morphine than it, I
3: think it would be better for you. It, it would <laughs> you know? be better for you. So yeah. you know, you look at these things and you look what artificial sweeteners do and how they how they light up your brain and what they do. I mean, the fact that you're not supposed to, as a pilot, go hit yourself with a bunch of NutraSweet before you go fly. Like, what more do we need to know here? There's so many levels of bad with artificial sweeteners. Besides the calorie dysregulation, so you no longer can calibrate the degree of sweetness with how much you're eating, and they glycate too. You know, they raise insulin too. They feed the bad bacteria in the gut. They make you crave more sweet, that's for sure. So, like, why would you touch them? They clearly don't work for the whole point of what they were set out to do. Well, there's a a
1: dark side there. If you want to make a lot of money in the diet industry, there's a very simple formula. You get people to do something that makes them fat and tell them that it'll make them thin. And then, like, I must need to do it more. And that's been, like, the <laughs> I diet. Know,
3: isn't it? has been the
1: diet. Sort the of the message ever. of insanity. Yeah, one didn't work, I'll do two. Two didn't work, I'll do three. And I was also hooked on this. And, and diet gum, you know, sugar-free gum. I used to eat it all the time because I was, like, terrified I might have bad breath because I was so toxic. I actually yeah. did have bad breath. So I'm always chewing on this stuff, constantly dosing myself. And I remember really distinctly when it finally hit me what I was doing to myself. I had eaten probably 5 or 6 pieces of gum and then I got like a giant big gulp
3: mm-hmm. with
1: all diet what? soda on an empty stomach and I drank it and I was trying to perform in this this college class and and like the room started swimming and I was in this extreme weird altered state and the only thing I had done was just masses of this stuff and I'm like what if I huh. stopped all of it <laughs> and I did and it made a
3: huge yeah, difference. What if I just eat like real food. Well,
1: I was in college, the gotcha. only real food it was one of those like pre-packaged pies. I'm like, there must be fruit inside there. Uh, see, like, I
3: worked you know. in catering. I ate great <laughs> in college. I figured that one out.
1: You were smart. <laughs> I, I used to not eat that well. And the thing that still kind of makes me mad is that no one was talking about this stuff. Like, I, I honestly believe that what I was doing was scientifically based mm-hmm. and you know, I was making good decisions. And if you believe you're making good decisions because you have bad data, you're kinda screwed.
3: Well, I believe most of us are being duped and that the misinformation is killing America. And I mean, if you just, I'll just give the example of this green drink that literally on the front says no sugar added. (laughs) And it's green boost, it's got a green boost, which really, and if you look at it, it's actually got four fruit servings in it. Four? And in 16 ounces, now okay, so a, a 16 ounce soda has 44 grams of sugar and a 16 ounce of this green drink has 56 grams of sugar. But the challenge is you look at it just like you look at the jam or you look at any of these things and it says no sugar added. Or if it does have, it does have sugar added, what they'll do to distract you is they'll say fat free. So they'll do one or the other of those. So you go, oh, it must be good. Or maybe they'll put organic. So they've got all these things that are all natural. You know, All natural is a great one they can use because natural means really nothing. So they can use these different yeah. words and you know, think about the person who's not studying this stuff and trying to make good decisions for their kids. And there's, that's what makes me so angry. There's
1: just about no way if you buy stuff that comes in boxes, it there are too many jars cans. lives. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. Well, because they have to sell them. And the average person wants to make a better choice. So if it says low fat pretzels or fat free pretzels or low fat chips, you know, guess what?
1: what about gluten-free on the sugar impact diet gluten-free foods we all know they're better for us than gluten foods right But how do you account for those how do you help people understand well so a
3: gluten-free food like an avocado or grass-fed beef or asparagus those ones are fine yeah we like those those. you know the ones that actually don't have to put gluten-free on the label but if you look at most of the gluten-free food out there it's absolute junk and so it falls all into high sugar impact. So what I did was I rated things as high, medium, and low sugar impact, and I have a transition period. So I have people first figure out all the places it's sneaking in, and it is amazing how many places. For people who think they're eating healthy, that these high and medium sugar impact foods are sneaking in, mm-hmm. because you just don't, you don't pay attention. You go out to eat, you don't really think about the Asian vinaigrette, you know, or the balsamic vinaigrette, or you know the, you'll get something that's glazed. I say if you, your fish was glazed, it just got shined with sugar, right? If you have that that salad with the glazed nuts and the dried fruit, and I just got a little, I got a little note from one of the dried fruit companies. They oh. said we have to add sugar because otherwise it's a little bitter. You like cranberries? But, and they said, but it has the same amount of sugar as raisins do, and I'm like, that doesn't. That's that's the point, you know, you missed the point. I thought, oh. I think I, think I get the point.
1: <laughs> Crack has less cocaine in it than cocaine, so therefore it's good yeah, for so you, Yeah, so it's right?
3: better, so it's better. So you, know, you, you look at all of these things that they've done, and again, now gluten-free being this bu- big buzz, it's like you weren't eating cookies before, you know, and you look at even, say, a gluten-free muffin, and you, you take that muffin, look at a cupcake. If you took the cupcake with the icing off, you'd have the same amount of sugar. Do you know that two Hostess cupcakes has the same amount of sugar as a lot of these healthy muffins at the coffee places?
1: Two Hostess cupcakes. So you're saying we should eat Hostess cupcakes? Yes,
3: that's exactly, that was the message. That's the takeaway for today. We actually don't have to talk anymore, just go get some Hostess cupcakes. Wash them down, but make sure it's fat-free milk.
1: Now if you go to Costco, (laughs) And, and you buy, like, a, a bran muffin or something, mm-hmm. you're saying this, Which, is- and
3: they're—and by the way, those bran muffins at Costco, those—we yeah. we actually looked at them once, they were like a thousand calories and mainly all, and not just from sugar, because carbohydrates turn to sugar, and that's the real important thing is people say, okay, I'm, I'm not eating any sugar, right? And we are all now focused on how much added sugar people have, but it's not the issue. I mean. We are eating 150 pounds of sugar per person, and I think, well, we are not, not. so that means yeah. there are some people that are really eating a lot. But that's not the problem. It's all the places that you don't realize you're getting it in that they're actually not counting because they're looking at added sugar, but it's like, well, what about the juice? And what about the jam? And what about the flour? What about the gluten-free flour that's now this corn flour? And you know what about all those things? Because the minute that you start to put them in your mouth, they start turning into sugar it's all the same. All that matters is the impact. What's it telling your body? Is it helping you burn fat or store it? Is it making you tired or energetic? You know, we should be able to go four to six hours before we need to eat again. If we have to snack, you're a sugar burner. You've taught your body how to eat, raise your insulin, drop your blood sugar down so you need to eat right away again. You know, it's like, boop, boop, you know, (laughs) right? You should not have to eat every two to three hours. That is a marketing ploy by the snacking, snacking foods group. And I got invited to be in. One of their—I remember—I got a note and a big box of all these low-fat chips. I get this big box. and I'm like, someone did not do their homework, and they invited me to join their snacking council. Wow. Yeah, could a you imagine snacking a counsel. snacking council? I'm you, like a snacking. What is a snacking council? What do you want me to do? Like, be tweeting out, "Oh, did you have your your fat-free Frito Lay's today? Go get them. Don't forget to snack." You should, <laughs> have, you should snack. have joined.
1: You could have been in our inside mall. I know.
3: Well, I just got that cranberry one that I could join
1: because well, you know, you they want
3: me on board. <laughs>
1: like, I'm like it's what's happening? It, it's kind of it, it's kind of sad. You know, the snacking board or, or the other business model we, we talked about—you know, selling things that don't work. Hundred calorie bars that are mostly sugar and carbs. Right. Hundred calories isn't
3: enough to do anything. You cannot fuel your energy with that. But you can raise your blood sugar. And you can get really hungry. You can raise your blood sugar, and who eats one? Well, that's Who the, eats one snack pack?
1: The best business model ever. First one's free. We get that from drug dealers. If they had those packs at the store, it was, yeah. you know, a dozen of those little 100-calorie things, which is still only 1,200 calories, like less than you eat in a day, and the one on top was free, and you could just open it right there and eat it in the yeah, store, you're right. they double be sales. Because you're like, i got to have another one. If your food makes you hungry, you're doing it wrong, would, would you
3: agree like with that? Like cereal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> cereal, first of all, to me, cereal is the perfect trifecta. Think about it. It's cereal and milk. Sugar, gluten, and dairy. Talk about just the the perfect triple hit of opiates. So, but you look at cereal and milk, and of course you had fat-free milk, and you are literally hungry within an hour. And so, yes, if you eat something and all of a sudden you're hungry again, there's clearly something wrong. You clearly didn't get enough fiber, protein, and healthy fats in there to keep you sustained. And that really is a benchmark for me is you should, you know, when people say, God, I had to remember to eat, go bingo we got there. You should be able to go four to six hours. I had to remember to eat. So so
1: this may go a little beyond just the sugar impact diet, but you're a nutritionist and and you've done a lot of work with with a lot of really high performance people who who look great. What's the difference between hunger and a food craving?
3: Hmm, That's a good one. So a craving for me, a craving has nothing to do with being hungry. And you got to have that thing. And it's a drug. Now, it can happen because you become intolerant to that food. You have a, a delayed food reaction. You you're, um, have a food sensitivity. Or it could be because you've created a drug-like effect to it. So you look at It's interesting because I've never heard someone ever say to me, and I've been doing this 30 years, I had such a craving for Brussels sprouts. I just had to go get them, I, never in 30 years. It's always the same foods. It is dairy, it is gluten, and it's sugar. If I had to say, what are they? I mean, you'll get the random, like I need some corn They're chips. Fat but, and salt, aren't those? You know, sugar, sugar, salt and fat, sugar, salt and fat. But it's not fat and like I'd like to have an avocado. Yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's not like I'll go. I mean, well, yeah. I, I have an issue with almond butter, but it's not it's not typically like I'm going to go eat the jar of almond butter. It is I'm going to go have the fat. It's wrapped up with some sugar and salt, like a corn chip. That's yeah. the ultimate sugar, salt, fat. And people don't look yeah. at it like that. But corn is sugar.
1: It, corn is sugar. And the other thing that that amplifies the effects of sugar is when you damage fats with heat. So you, you're frying oils that should never touch heat. In fact, oils that shouldn't be eaten and then you're doing it on a sugar substrate. Right? Yeah. How does that change yeah, so the that's sugar great, impact cause, of a chip?
3: Because well, what's so fabulous about that is now you're gonna eat something that's high sugar and raise insulin so that your body's going, cool, let's store it all. You know, so now you got these damaged fats. It's like incoming, you know, it's like it does get worse than that. And now you've got these damaged fats that are making your receptors less sensitive to the message. So they're destroying your receptor walls. So now your walls are are not able to have the flow they need so the hormones can get in to, to give their messages to talk. So it's just, if you start to look at all of the levels of bad, because I think people don't think long-term, and what I loved about the gut microbiome artificial sweetener study is that these change, changes have Happen in six to seven days. You know, we think of these things and we go, oh, you know, sugar is bad, but you know, I'll just do it this once, which of course is this once and this once and this once. But these things, these changes happen very quickly, very quickly, you know. And the good news there is they can also get fixed fairly quickly, too. If you look at,
1: at how quickly you can fix the gut biome, it sounds kind of like a good story. We know the gut biome changes within 24 hours of eating food. Uh, You can have market changes when you add resistant starch or other things, collagen's a good substrate to make butyric acid, for instance. But when you have all of that going on, a lot of people have bad bacteria in their guts. So what does
3: eating sugar do if you have bacteria going on in the gut? So sugar is basically the fuel for the bad bacteria. And that's the worst thing you can do. You know, we don't think about this. I think the coolest thing going and the next biggest trend I'm hoping is gonna be all about the gut microbiome. It is the biggest thing controlling us. And since it's for obesity, it is huge. You have too much bad gut ter- bacteria in the gut, you extract more calories from the food you eat and you store them as fat. So it can just be that I had a client. Suzanne Summers' stepdaughter was a client of mine, and she'd gone to all of these doctors in LA, and she had this chronic gas and bloating. And so they kept giving her probiotics, and it was getting worse <laughs> because no one was dealing with the fact. Well, wait a minute. What's? And they said she just needs to exercise more. Oh, jeez. You know she needs to eat less, and. Exercise more. That's it, right? Because that's why we've got this obesity epidemic. Clearly, we've all of a sudden eaten 10 times mm-hmm. the calories we used to eat 100 yeah. years ago. Um, so it's interesting. So I'm looking at her, I'm like, well, she already exercises, and she was doing all, all high-intensity training, and she actually wasn't eating enough.
1: That happens a lot, yeah.
3: But she was bloated all day long, and the reason she wasn't eating is because whether she ate or not, she just got more bloated as the day went on. Well, there's a, I mean, that is a just slam dunk on you've got small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You just get more bloated as the day goes on, whether you eat or not. And so we went on a killing spree and it took a while. I mean, if you've got an overgrowth of bad bacteria, you gotta get those things gone, you know? And if you just keep going, I'll just keep feeding those good ones. No, you're gonna get the bad ones jump in there too. They take over, you know?
1: That's one of the problems with some approaches to fixing the gut bacteria, is that you don't know which ones you're feeding.
3: Right. And those bad ones are, are worse. They're, they're the big bad army. So, you know, you look at things that are so great, berberine, cultured foods, first off, I mean, shout out to Donna Gates, who made yeah. me try the cultured veggies. I'm like, Ey! you know, and they're a little scary, but the cool news is when you eat those, you, you will develop a taste for them. That's something that we don't have in our culture that we should, and the sour takes the sweet taste away. And I drink a lot of cultured um, drinks. I do cultured coconut water every day. And you can develop a taste for these things, and it works, and it helps feed the good bacteria, and fiber's so critical too, but I love berberine and garlic. Like just, I think these, and berberine's like one of the coolest herbs on the planet, because it also helps balance blood sugar, and it probably helps balance blood sugar, because it's killing the bad bacteria in your gut.
1: Berberine is magic stuff, and people who listen to to Bill Perfriddy all the time know I'm not a garlic fan, as an herb. As a medicinal herb, we'll see they raw use,
3: garlic. Throwing yeah. some, throwing some in
1: is a great thing. Exactly. When you're dealing with bad bacteria, that's an appropriate time to use a medical herb. I, I wouldn't suggest using it every single day, and I think we probably differ yeah. on that.
3: Well, no, but, I don't. No? Okay. no, I don't think so. There's, yeah.
1: there's so many people like, well, garlic must be good. Therefore, I should have it three times a day. And, and I've found that it affects cognition at, when you have high doses like that on a regular basis.
3: Yeah, I think when you're going after gut microbiome and the bad stuff, you have to hit it hard, and that's yeah. what I see is most people don't hit it hard enough, and so they don't get it dealt with because for a lot of people this just especially if you've eaten a high sugar diet or you've done birth control pills or antibiotics or any of this stuff and set up this inhospitable area, you've got to go in hard. Hard and heavy and then and then you've got to come back now and be gentle and repopulate and yeah. right? So
1: part of the the bulletproof diet, the the stuff that that I've written about in there has to do with what you were saying and the things that you, you've you written about and certainly things that, that you've researched when you were writing The Sugar Impact Diet about this gut microbiome issue. It turns out that when you eat certain strains of probiotics, ones that are, are even sold in stores, <laughs> that they can make you fat. And, and I read this blog post that really made a lot of people angry, like yogurt has some of these strains. so. If you're eating sugar and you're taking things like that, weird stuff can happen, for instance. I thought, all right, I'm gonna try doing a probiotic Bulletproof coffee in the morning. So I made Bulletproof coffee and I added artichoke syrup, which is sweet tasting, but actually, sorry, Jerusalem artichoke syrup.
3: God, didn't that make you gassy? (laughs) Sorry to ask. (laughs) Yeah. Let's find out. Dave, did that make you gassy? It didn't just make me gassy. <laughs> this stuff is a big source of FOS, or fructose yes, oligosaccharides. it's like...
1: But I took, uh, I took some probiotics <laughs> with it, so the idea is it would feed the probiotics. So if you've had Bulletproof Coffee, and you have too much oil in it, which gives you disaster pants, you add gas on that, and it's, it's not okay. <laughs> but worse than that, I can cope with a little bit of gas. The problem is, and especially if I'm expecting my gut to transform itself. After a week on this, I gained ten pounds. Like I had, to, like my pants didn't fit, and it was because of the species of that
3: I, is un, Well, there's there's yeah. some very interesting testing now to look at that whole. And I'm going to kill this, but it's the formicides to the Bacteroides and seeing which. Go. And I think it'll be so interesting if we start to look at that and understand that your gut really is the master switch that we don't think about. Yeah, you know, and that's why honestly I keep going back to this article. But I went, people will start to get it with this one because now you've hit them, they can make sense of it, especially when you saw it happen in six to seven days.
1: I was mystified, and I know there was a sugar impact. I was eating sugar at the beginning of that, so that that is, FOS is a form of sugar, and I don't know if it raises insulin specifically, but, but what I discovered, and this actually kind of made me mad, I, I'm a computer hacker by background, so I, I look at systems differently, and When you look at what your gut bacteria are doing, like, okay, how do I hack my own system so I can lose fat and gain muscle and stuff like that? And eliminating sugar, do it. Eliminating high insulin foods, do Mm -hmm. it. So in very much alignment with what you teach in your book. But the problem is that when you try to attack or hack a system, there might already be a hacker in there and the gut bacteria are hackers. And There's this annoying hormone. It's called fasting induced adipose factor. And what happens is that bacteria, the firmicutes, the ones that tend to be higher in fat people, well, they make extra FIOF And FIOF, if you like the acronym, is something made by your liver. So your liver will naturally regulate your energy, even if you eat too many calories or even if you eat the wrong kind of food. But once you introduce bacteria, the bacteria are afraid that you'll die, so they make extra fee off or turn it off. So your liver was doing its job and a hacker came in and compromised your ability to regulate your weight and your metabolism and your insulin, just like you're saying. And well, depending on what you eat, you can suppress those, you eat less sugar, I you mean, isn't that cool?
3: That's, that's the bottom line. You've got yeah. 100 trillion bacteria, 100 times the DNA, and you can control those guys with what you're eating. Yeah. like and Talk sugar. about powerful. And what will be so cool is as we start to do more testing so that people can look at that and go, all right, now I know this, like I shouldn't have this strain. I should have this strain. I should, you know, I need to kill off first. What should I do? I put a client early on when I didn't know this stuff onto probiotics and she just got bloated for <laughs> I remember she walked in and she was like 50 with this bowling ball stomach. And I'm like, oops, you know, yeah. like what did I do here? Because I didn't know, I just, probiotics are good. <sighs> you've got bloating take more
1: it's also a question of like these probiotics worked and these ones didn't because different ones do these things yeah so i'm a fan of like you a zero sugar breakfast which gives the bacteria the ones that make you fat very little to eat and when they don't get fed they send a little a little uh, basically uh they they change their they change their excretion of fasting induced adiposity factor so by eliminating sugar the way that you recommend you actually get the bacteria to behave themselves.
3: Well, we saw like, so what I do is I have a taper week because I understand that most people walking in, if you take someone who's, a sugar burner who's used to eating a lot, even if they think they're doing well, but they're eating those gluten free things and they're, you know, it's like some of this crap. It's like, uh, but they're, you know, and they're having the marinara sauce with all the sugar in it and all this stuff. So I have them tapered down the first week from high sugar impact to medium sugar impact. But I'll tell you, those two weeks where the fructose goes down to basically nothing and we have such low sugar impact is mind blowing. And it looks like the bulletproof diet. You know, it's like that same thing where all of a sudden sugar impact is so is so down you're regaining your your uh, glucose control, your insulin sensitivity, your leptin sensitivity, you're not hungry. Your waist is just going, I mean, had someone four inches off your waist for like a woman. I mean, it's, it's wow. one thing if it's a, you know, a big guy, but it's for a woman. It's like, what? You know, I said, I said, email her again and check that one again, because, <laughs> you know, you know and, and the average person was 10 pounds. But what I really wanted to prove, and I think we've seen this now enough times, is that you can lose your sweet tooth. You can lose your sweet tooth. You can't lose it if you're having artificial sweeteners all this crap. But as you know, when you don't drink sweet stuff and you taste something, I mean, even a water with some sweetener, like, like, what's that? Like, it just doesn't taste good anymore. And I saw the biggest diehard sugar addicts, because that's what I wanted to prove. I I don't need to prove it on you and me. Like, wow, whoopee, you know. (laughs) Dave didn't like the Pop-Tart. But, you know, if you can prove it on the most diehard sugar addict that you can get rid of their sweet tooth in two weeks, and a lot of that's happening, because it's changing your gut microbiome. Now, I know people listening to this are like, cool, that's awesome. But the average person out there really doesn't care. They just don't want to be controlled by sugar anymore.
1: (laughs) They'll say things like, end my cravings and tell me what to do. And I think that you did a really good job in the Sugar Impact Diet of explaining the source of sugar cravings. And one of the things that's a part of, of the introductory section, like the psychology of food that's in the Bulletproof Diet, is that if you have cravings for whatever reason, like the ones you're outlining in your book, those cravings suck
3: your willpower yeah. and, and you get tired. We shouldn't have, first of all, there's no such thing as willpower. If there was willpower, we mm-hmm. wouldn't be here as a species. You know, we are hardwired to seek out sugar and fat. There's a reason that we're going after these things. So you've just got to get you got to set s- systems into place so you don't have to rely on willpower. It's like okay. don't bring ice cream into the house. And if you're having cravings, there's a reason. Okay. So figure out why that is, right? You know, it's like, so if you're having a drug, I know that if I had wine every night, every night I want more wine. So I don't do that because that would be stupid, you know? Yeah. It's like don't set yourself up to fail.
1: Okay. So I think we, we both agree that if you have cravings, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you did, and it's something you can control. But
3: that's the good thing. Yeah. It's your fault. It's under your control. Yes. If you have cravings, so I always like to say, this isn't this. All of the stuff really isn't your fault. You're being duped by misinformation. But now that you know, you can do better. And if you knew that the that the Oreo cookies, or those healthy low fat snack wells that you're having, or whatever these things are that are just crazy, are lighting up your brain and making you crave more. Stop it. You know, but taper down. Don't I have people taper for a first week and really become more aware and start to, to trade high sugar impact for medium and then and then they're ready to really just go. Just let it go.
1: Yes. Cool. We're coming up on the end of the podcast, and I've already asked you the cool question about the top three recommendations for performing best. So I'm gonna ask you something different, JJ. What are your top three recommendations for getting rid of a sugar addiction?
3: This is what is so great is it really has to do completely with, number one, making the decision. I think so if you don't decide you're going to do something, if it's not important, if you haven't attached enough importance into this, then you won't do it. So the the number one way to get rid of a sugar addiction is to just decide that this is important enough that you want to live a great, healthy life and you want your kids to, too, because whatever you're doing, they're doing. So if you want your kids to be drug addicts, be a drug addict. And if you're addicted to sugar, you're a drug addict. So get that, get real about that, and then attach how important it is and what you're really being held back in your life from getting because of this so that you will go after this. You know, what is that big aspiration that the stupid Oreo cookie is keeping you from doing, you know, and if you get to that point of like of how ridiculous this is, you'll stop it. So that's the first part. Second part is get a sane scientific program. Again, stop being misled by the misinformation out there. Don't trick yourself into doing more of what's not working You know, and a lot of that is because we really wish it would work. Hey, I wish it would work that I could live on black licorice and Diet Coke. That would be awesome, you know, (laughs) and popcorn, skinny pop. I would love that. That would be great. It doesn't work. So let's get real about that, get a program that works, and then get into a community of people to support you so that if you start to go off the rails, they will grab your hand and pull you back in because it's gonna take some time to go through that, not long. I see people in two weeks totally lose their sweet tooth, but you want some support during that time to help you get through it. and I think that's that magic formula that you really need, is that grab that lifeline of support. That I know you've got an amazing community. It's so important to have that amazing community of people, because let's face it, you go out into the real world and 70% of the people are overweight or obese, 35% are obese now, 20% of the kids now are obese. Wow. You know, So those aren't going to be the people probably to support you, because they're right now being duped by misinformation. So grab that community and then start pulling your friends in to save them too.
1: That's a wonderful piece of advice. And JJ, thanks for being on the show. And also, thanks for coming to the Bulletproof Conference and speaking. Uh, we're actually filming this at the conference. and. So people know how, how you thought it went today. I'd love just a short comment because people who hear this will probably want to come.
3: We'll need year. to come next year to this <laughs> conference because there is nothing like this anywhere. First of all, it's like I, you know, I couldn't come till today, which was upsetting, so we will block it out. for. Do we have the dates for next year? We'll be blocking this out for next year because just to come to play and to see all the other cool people, again, I'm all about community, and just the lineup of speakers that you have are just amazing. You know, not just me. <laughs> You know, but I mean, it's just you've really put together something, something really cool and special. I don't really know anywhere else where you can come and find this type of information. And I got my, you know, CoQ10 B vitamin, cool shot. Your injection. uh, My, I mean, it's like it's it's awesome. I I think this is a
1: first for health conferences where we had just out on the, on the floor, injectable vitamins. I know,
3: how awesome is that? Yeah. How, I was like, oh, this is the best. You know, I, went, I was having my bulletproof coffee and getting a, a B, B vitamin shot. Like, it doesn't get better than that.
1: I still have needle marks from the conference.
3: <laughs> this conference, or was that a different conference? <laughs> So yeah, you really have put together something, hmm. something amazing, and just to come and play, I was looking at pictures of you doing some spinning thing, and I'm like, <laughs> as I was driving in, going, i got to get there faster. So. Uh, you'll
1: get a, a, a shot on all the big Flow Genome toys, JJ. In the meantime. Where can people learn more about your work and specifically your new book? Where the they new
3: go book it? is sugarimpactdiet.com. Yes, and we've got great stuff, training videos, but more importantly, you can take the quiz to test your sugar impact and your sugar IQ.
0: Thanks again, JJ. Always a pleasure to get to spend time with you. You too.